I'm Molly O'Connor. And I'm Sarah Connell Sanders. And you're listening to Pop It. This is the podcast for popping questions, popping bottles, and pop culture. Hello, Molly. Hi, Sarah. So we are going to talk about a woman named Patricia Gagne, who is from Worcester. She was murdered um, in Worcester. In Worcester. And the case remains a cold case. And it was Heather Bish who pointed it out to us and asked that every time we talk about Molly Bish, we also talk about quieter cases like Patricia Gagne. Mm -hmm. So I don't know if you want to relive it all what she shared with us during our live show. So we were talking about kind of the idea of, you know, certain people perhaps getting like the spotlight of a missing persons case. For example, Molly Bish, who's like a young blonde woman. Um, And we talked about a little bit in the context of Gabby Petito as well. Um, And how some things for whatever reason sometimes it is because they are like a young pretty blonde person or because they have a certain socioeconomic status or something like that tend to be in the spotlight more when stuff like this happens um and she mentioned patty um and sarah and i kind of looked at each other sarah and i kind of looked at each other and we were like you know we didn't say anything at that time and then after we were like we had no idea that there was like a murder and it's pretty, I mean, we'll get to kind of what happened, what is known at least. Um, but it's pretty upsetting story. And a lot of the time when there are folks who are, like I was saying, in, you know, who are poorer or who come from a different racial or ethnic or economic background, they often don't get the same treatment. Um, and even years later, you know, we still talk about things that are however many years old today. Um, and so a lot of these cases, like Sarah said, are still cold cases. They have no leads on this, essentially. Yeah. And I mean, we should reach out to the DA's office because mm-hmm. it's still open. A lot of the recent reporting, whenever there's an anniversary that comes up about Patricia Gagne, they say we keep this case close because, you know, you never know when someone is going to feel like it's time to finally share what they know mm-hmm. or like somebody has passed or a relationship has ended and now someone feels like they can come forward with new information. Mm-hmm. So I wonder how far along the case truly is based on what we know right now. Yep. Um, And that was even something that I think Patty's father had talked about a little bit, right, where he was hoping that that would happen after some time. Her mother passed without ever finding out. Yeah, her mother passed, and I don't know about her father, but we'll see. I'm going to go through my notes to him. Maybe I have a note about him. (laughs) Um, But – I think we should start by talking about her as a girl because that's how we started when we were discussing the Molly Bish case. You know, what was she like while she was living? We hear so much about these grisly crimes, but we don't necessarily hear about who the person was during their life. Absolutely. We have an idea, I think, too, especially in this case because the description of what happened is particularly, like, easy to visualize. For us being from Worcester, too. Totally. Um, But just, like... The one idea that I think most people have if they were around for this and if they are aware of it is this, you know, what happened to her because it's very, um, it's like a visceral thing that you can really sort of see. Um, But, right, like who was she? You know, we see a picture and then that's kind of it. 
So she was 17 in 1984 before she passed. She went by Patty Ann, and I think it's so sweet. It was because her two best friends were also named Patty. How crazy is yes, that? Yes, the three Patties. I was I was chuckling because I was reading, I was reading it, you know, a little bit more about this. Some of the articles that um, Sarah had found and some of the some of the info on her. And I I read the first Patty. It said her friend Patty. I think it was Weagle. Yeah. Right, Patty Weagle, Le, Le Cuillère. That's right. Um, but then I scrolled down and it said, according to her friend Patty, what is it, Danzero? They yeah. don't have like French last names. I know. Um, her other friend Patty, and I, I actually scrolled back up and I was like, wait. They're all Patty. They are all yeah. Patty. There's um, some Y, some I. So but I thought that was very cute too. <laughs> Molly, I did find a picture of the mm-hmm. three of them in elementary school and it's so oh cute because it reminds me of my Worcester Public Schools like kindergarten uh-huh. photos. But do you want to describe these three young patties? The well, first of all, I love the variation on like the hair of the time. <laughs> yeah, we got one that has like a short bang and a little feather, and then two of them are a little like the curls, sort of like pulled back, maybe with a a pin, um, but very. Very reminiscent, very of the time. I would guess what eighty four. She was seventeen, so this must be like ten Probably years 74. before. Yeah, and it's very. It reminds me, honestly, they look like how you would imagine like the Charlie Brown characters in real life. Oh my in a God. way, right? Just like just kids. Yeah, and these little kids, little munchkins. They have mm-hmm. all these interesting prints. And like, yes. Yeah. Totally. Definitely like 70s textiles, mm-hmm. avocado stripes, you know. It's like oh, those stripes really that actually it's almost like an apron top. Mm-hmm. Really stands out. Frills. Very cute. Yes. And so the three girls, they grow up to be South High students. And Patty also has a boyfriend. Uh, much like many of our friends, they love roller skating and they like to go to Old Orchard Beach every summer. Mm-hmm. Gagne works multiple jobs, which is kind of crazy. When I read this, I guess she had three jobs total. Oh As God. a 17-year-old high school student, she was a waitress, a babysitter, and she helps take care of all of her younger siblings. Yep. Uh, so she would always take her little brother swimming and um the and they like to go to the movies together as siblings the last movie they saw was purple rain and i thought you would have thoughts on that but can you give me just like a tight description of what purple rain is like purple rain is very purple um first of all but it's essentially um a movie about a young musician who like is trying to escape both is trying to both escape like the legacy of his father but also he wants to his father was a musician as well he wants to also be like like his father in some ways but he uses music as an escape from his home life and he gets a cool girlfriend it's Apollonia (laughs) and um and then there's like a rival musician it's just very um very musical and very um What's the word I'm looking for? So it's a movie from the 80s that was made in the 80s, but it has those like 50s vibes almost of like gotcha. the way it sort of comes across. Like wholesome? It's very cool. No, but vintage. Ah, I Not see. wholesome. <laughs> gotcha. Not not. I mean, you know, yeah. It's Prince, so yeah. never wholesome. But Always pushing the envelope. Yes, but um, yeah, it's really like about a young man trying to find his way using music. 
to give it a little bit of an after-school special spin, which it's not. <laughs> so here is a picture of her when she's 17. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if you would, like, cast her in a movie who would play her or if you want to describe her. She she's She's got beautiful eyes, like dark eyes. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I don't know. She, I'm trying to – you know who she looks like? She looks like Joe from The Facts of Life. She's very beautiful, but she almost has like a tomboy, like a tough girl sort of vibe to her. Um, like she looks glamorous, but she also looks like she could throw a punch. Yes. Right? She kind of reminds me of Ruthie from Seventh Heaven. Sure. I don't know if you ever watched that yep. show. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and so she lived in this super tight-knit neighborhood. Mm-hmm. And it's actually not far from where you lived in an apartment yep. for a while. Yeah. Um, Pretty close by. It's Southgate and Canterbury Street. And this was her house at 71 South mm-hmm. Great Street. I typed it into Google Maps and like this comes up as 71 to 74. So I don't know if her house is behind or, or had if different this is it. numbers. Yeah, they just yeah. use the numbers. But to me, it looks like a very familiar three-decker. Yes, absolutely. And that neighborhood, uh, for our Worcester listeners, will kind of be able to place it in context. But may, it's Maine South. Um, and it's an area that is, you know, known for being a a tougher place yeah certainly they've worked really hard to clean up the kilby gardner block there and they've gotten tons and tons of grant money to restore a lot of these three deckers so that they're still um the historic iconic worcester building but they don't they've been brought up burned down down exactly um definitely but especially i imagine in 1984 Mm -hmm. um a lot of i mean up I through the 80s I think South Worcester was still known as a poorer area. Yeah. Um, well, it's funny. There's a lot of like nimbyism here as I was reading people's yeah. reactions to the crime. They say like, "Oh, well, all the good people left the neighborhood after this crime." Uh, you know, all these tight-knit neighbors left the neighborhood and I was thinking like, what is that code for? Right? Like what does it mean that the that like the white people left? Right. Is that what that like Yeah. The, so there's definitely it's a product of its time the story and the reporting is old you know most of it's from the late 80s and then in 94 they did a bunch for the anniversary it seems like every 10 years this gets talked about again but i do think that the neighborhood where it happened is one of those things um to be clear patty is a white woman but Mm -hmm. i think that the neighborhood that she lived in um and you know she lived in a three-decker apartment so that is probably what contributes to the fact that this type of story gets forgotten because the neighborhood that she lived in, they were like, you know, especially now or not now necessarily, but like 20 years ago, people might just think, oh, it was Maine South, like that stuff. Right. It wasn't normal, but. But crime rates are higher in that part of the city. It's a less affluent area of the city. Um, And one thing about Three Deckers is they came about because this was such like a manufacturing space that they would want all of the workers and their families to live in one building in a very efficient way Mm -hmm. but it came to be that a lot of families would have all three generations on all three floors Mm -hmm. of these three deckers and so they build this like really tight-knit neighborhood here um and so it's wednesday night october 22nd 1984 It's cold and rainy, Mm. and Patty Ann calls her mom to say, hey, mom, I'm going to be late. I'm at my boyfriend's house, and we're playing Trivial Pursuit. 
Which I think is another nice little glimpse yes. of just like how young she was yeah. and innocent. And that is a game that can go on for hours. <laughs> what is the premise? Trivial Pursuit? Is it just like trivia questions? It's trivia questions, but like in between you can land on bigger spaces. Hello, Jacob. Hi. Thank you for this. <laughs> oh, and the Come dog. Hello. Oh, hi, Wendy. He's like, I'm coming with Thank you. Thank you very much. Thanks, Jake. Smells good. Mm-hmm. Thanks, Wenny. <laughs> good He's boy. like, okay, I'm coming. <laughs> All right. <clears throat> so I think another indication of perhaps her socioeconomic level is that she is taking the bus by herself late at night. Yep. She's she doesn't have a car, even though she's 16. You know, she's mm-hmm. taking a bus. Um, she gets off on Main Street, like right by Clark, at 11 p.m., which, I mean, I think it's pretty late. My curfew was 11. Yeah, as a teenager. As a teen. But I wasn't allowed to take the bus by myself at 11. Um, now, again, the 80s were probably a little different yeah. than, than the aughts when I, I grew up. I don't do anything by myself at 11 when I was 17. <laughs> I know. <laughs> so her house is just a three-minute walk from the bus stop if mm-hmm. she cuts over the train tracks. So yep. it feels like she's right nearby. You know, it's a, a walk she's used to making. And there's a witness who sees her walking from the bus stop and notices that there's a man walking about 50 feet behind her. Um, but she turns onto Grand Street which is a spot where she can actually, like, see her house. She can physically see the roof of her house. And so they figure, you know, she's going to get home safely. Yes. Um, did the man – did that witness say if the man followed her down Grand Street? Um, they did not. It sounds like as soon as they saw her make that turn, they, they were like, oh, it's no big deal. Yeah. Because that's a normal thing to think. Like, right. It's – I mean, it's – I don't think that we tend to or should. I think we talked about this when we talked about – molly where people then go back and they're like should i have done this or they obsess right and you know we can't live our lives like too late yeah Yeah. oh so she doesn't come home she doesn't come home her brother um says that you know he remembers thinking like where where was she but yeah she doesn't come home the next morning the family and the police are there together when they discover her belongings in an alley that's right near the train tracks. And then it's shortly thereafter they find her body. Um, she's been stripped of all her clothes. She's in the window well of a factory that's called mm-hmm. the Branson Wire Company on Grand Street. And she's covered in debris. Um, the cause of death is massive head trauma and rape. And the lieutenant who's on the case also finds, by scrutinizing the crime scene photographs, there's a wire wrapped around her neck. And it was interesting when Heather Bish told the story, she said it was a pocketbook that had been wrapped around her neck. So I am curious, you know, how much has come to light. Right. Um, What do we – what – do we know or what do we not know or what has been reported even? Right. And how much of it is based now on these old photographs they're right. scrutinizing versus what was seen right there at the time of the crime. Mm-hmm. Oh, my God. Um, so this who is, is that? a Channel 5 reporter. I, I want to know if it's someone who like I like saw when he got old. Um, and if you take a look behind him, this is the alley where she was yes, found. But yep. it this is a picture that me, we're looking at, by the way, to our listeners. <laughs> yeah, it reminds me so much of all of the lofts that you know, mm-hmm. the loft that I lived in. Yep. Um, There's lofts lo- right over in that area now, like the Fremont lofts. Yeah, they look just like that. Right by Crystal Park. Mm-hmm. So this is a really familiar. Again, we were factory city manufacturing, and when all of these factories closed. 
they just remain dormant vacant for a really long time um and a lot of them were brownfields and so it would cost a ton of money you need a big developer to change it and so we have this like largely deserted area that's ideal for a crime to be committed that was that's what i was exactly gonna say do you want to describe just the layout kind of so on yep so like there's the building where we have just it looks like a typical factory it really i always get reminded of um, the factory from Jumanji, the shoe factory, where mm-hmm. like his dad worked or his dad owned, I don't know, his dad owned it, but it, it's like that old, you know, just very traditional looking, but there's, what is this like, some kind of like machine a loading vent? dock? Yeah. Or... Hang on the side, but on the- Because the train tracks are to I was about to right. say, on the other side, you can see, right? You can see like a barrier that is leading to a train track. So I wonder if that was like a loading dock to the right. train. Oh yeah, because the truck, the part itself, Yeah. But um, otherwise, there is some wide open space there. Like between kind of the building and where that barrier is, there's just – it's it almost looks like there should be like tumbleweeds rolling in it. Like there's some tall grass. There's some no grass. So this must be there. where she was cutting over the train mm-hmm. tracks or close to it. Yep. And then there's all these big windows. Like I would say they're 10 foot tall. Yeah. And there's one, two, three, four, five stories. Mm-hmm. But the first story – It's almost like a – we would call it a garden level if it was an apartment. Yeah. It's like part underground. And so there's a big window well. So I would guess there's probably like three feet of space down there. Yeah. And that's where they found her. Mm-hmm. Let's see. Oh my gosh. So her brother, you know, he – it crossed his mind that she wasn't home yet, but – it really tore him up when they found her because he was like, oh, my God, she was close enough that if she had been calling out for help and I had, like, gone outside, yeah. I probably could have heard her because it's so close to our house. And that's the thought that really tortures him. Like you said, you know, it's we, too right, late, right? We, put, we insert ourselves into it and obsess. So a lot of families start moving out of the neighborhood, like we said. Um, and... They say it's because the neighborhood has changed. This murder wasn't solved. Something happened here. But, I mean, it could have been just a totally random thing. I also think, though, at that time, what's at the mid-80s, mm-hmm. like, white flight was happening anyways. Right. So people are moving to suburbia, not even just to other neighborhoods in Worcester, I would guess. Mm-hmm. I would guess that at that point in time, and I'm not saying I haven't studied this particular neighborhood in Worcester, but in that time period it was very it became more um common for white families to move out of urban areas and go to the suburbs that's right and this is the same time that all of the busing is happening in Mm -hmm. boston forced busing satanic panic is like taking over daycare centers yeah and so you (laughs) there's like a lot you have a lack of information Mm -hmm. and yeah heightened panic then and nancy reagan that's like the just say no era that's right there's just like a lot right a lot of general panic that are pushing people to self-segregate sure um and so we wonder right it seems like all the neighbors thought oh this was a random act of violence by like a bad man yeah but it could very well have been someone that knew patty it could have been Mm -hmm. somebody that lived in that neighborhood and so they keep pleading keep pleading um let's see i still have to believe that somebody saw something that night or the murder has 
the murderer has told somebody something and that person or persons aren't talking, maybe someday someone will come forward and that will be the break in the case that we've been waiting for. And that was from her mother. I was mixed up. That's what I thought. Her father. Yeah. It was, yeah. Yeah. And then she passes away in 2010 and still there's no people of interest in this case. Um, And jumping back to to what you just said about like a random act of violence heather talked a lot about that about the idea that we try to make these monsters in our heads and she goes back to the seed of it where it's like how are we how are those monsters being made right they're everywhere mm-hmm. it's not one it's probably not one person committing all these crimes it's probably one for one where we just have these people who are unwell and you know committing crimes and they are they're everywhere right and that's the thing too is like you know heather said yeah it might be some dark shadowy figure lurking in the window well but it also might be your plumber or your Mm -hmm. dance teacher or your grocery store worker or your lawyer it could be literally anyone and that's the scariest part Mm -hmm. um so The investigation continues, and to the Worcester Police Department's credit, they keep this close. Like I said, they seem to keep the case open, and it resonates with a lot of people. Well, there were two particular officers who seemed fairly attached to it, right, who were, like, hoping for something, who were around at the time. Yeah, and they must have been pretty young, or relatively so in their careers when it started, because they stick with this case for 30 years, you know? Um, one of them is Captain McGinn. He says, when I think back to the case, this girl was chased down a set of tracks in a rainstorm, beaten, and her body was hidden. It was one of these cases where the victim was a true innocent. Um, the other thing that they mentioned too, was that the man hours for this case dwarf any other investigation in the city's history. And now that was something that is really interesting. That was something they had said, you know, back in the nineties. So I wonder if that's changed, right. but that that's still a big deal though, even then, like to yeah. be in the nineties. And that changed my perception a little where I know Heather had said, this is not a case that got any national press or it got just very a tiny tiny bit of the press that her sister's abduction had gotten and that was why she kept bringing it up yeah. um i think in the 90s too though something changed where we heard more nationally anyways like thinking of like jamini ramsey or um mm-hmm. oh my god what was that woman's name in D- in washington dc i can see her picture i'll think of it but <laughs> in the 90s i think it became more of a thing like people magazine was publishing more of like as an example of that type of stuff right yeah that's right so it was more of a um just a whole thing whereas at the time like maybe the city was really focused on this but it wasn't it didn't turn into you know whatever it was going to turn into true crime has this bump in popular culture Mm -hmm. all of a sudden Um, And we've talked a lot about this on the podcast, but just the idea that women are raised in fear. You know, we're told, don't walk anywhere alone. Don't go in the woods by yourself. Buddy system. Don't trust anyone. Be careful. And so we're drawn to these stories of women who either survive um, and we think, oh, well, I want to survive and prepare myself. Let me learn about this Mm -hmm. case. Or women who don't survive, and we don't want to make those same mistakes. And that's part of the psychological draw for a lot of women to true crime. Mm -hmm. And that's what Heather, too, is trying to combat, which is the idea. It's like, don't 
or you know she's not saying like don't like take a self-defense class but like don't don't fixate on that let's fixate Mm -hmm. on the idea of like how do people in particular men become these monsters people who do that stuff and how do they how do they turn into someone who like commits a murder Mm -hmm. and so much of it i would say is cyclical right where if you grow up in an abusive environment you're much more likely to harm other people as an adult especially people who are weaker than you sure um, I want to jump really quickly. I think it's very interesting that where that captain says that she was a, a in that case she was a victim who was a true innocent. Because um, I do think that is true of this, but I think it gives an interesting perspective. And I don't want to make like a um, value judgment on it, but I think it does give a really interesting perspective on the way that some detectives might see victims. In certain cases, and I'm not trying to like blanket this guy and like accuse him of anything. I just think it's a fascinating way of looking at it to think like if she is a true innocent, like who's not? Yeah, yeah. You know, so I just thought that was an um, an interesting way of looking at. It. And like I said, I have you know I don't know anything about this particular person, right. but I think we hear stuff like that sometimes. It's not just from him, um, and so it is kind of um, just a glimpse of how I do think that some of the system does work sometimes. Yeah, and when we spoke to Heather Bish about her sister's case, we acknowledged this missing white women's syndrome where the press goes crazy over young, oftentimes blonde, affluent girls um, because they are viewed as true innocents, right? And then women of color or indigenous women. Yeah. I mean, that's a woman of color, isn't it? (laughs) Yeah, but we can specify because I think that's become an even bigger thing. But lately, but yes, (laughs) women who fall into minority subgroups are much more likely to be ignored in the media Mm -hmm. um, or assumed that they were asking for trouble. Sure. Mm -hmm. Yep. So on the 30th anniversary, the two other patties, they reunited with a heart-shaped balloon and they released it into the sky to the soundtrack of Purple Rain. That is really great. And I think that goes back to like our original sort of I don't want to say thesis that sounds too formal but like when we first when we you know decided to even talk to heather and talk about molly we really wanted to focus on who she was as a person because that does get lost and i think that that's a really nice like full circle nod to that like who she was as a 17 year old girl mm-hmm. um so that's really nice Yeah. Well, I'm glad we got to talk a little bit about her life and remind the local public of her death because it sounds like there's a lot of hope that someone might still be out there who knows something Mm -hmm. and it's not too late. No. 1984 feels like a long time ago in our heads and it really wasn't that long ago Mm -hmm. in the grand scheme of things. And just like with the Molly Bish case where they had this big break over the summer, Mm -hmm. um, I think... It's not unlikely to think that something could happen, but with her mother gone now, there's not a huge push for advocacy. So I think it's important to just, you know, remind the DA this is a case that's important to us. We want justice and we don't want monsters out there anymore who might take advantage of another true innocent, which encompasses, I think, a lot more people absolutely than popular culture has led us to believe. Almost everyone who's murdered, I would argue, yeah, unless it is like a very serious case of self-defense, probably shouldn't get murdered. Yeah. Oh, my God. (laughs) I'm with you on that one. Yeah. It's one of those things I'm like laughing just because it's like, 
it's insane to think about. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I'm glad. I'm glad that Heather brought it up even in the first place. Cause like I said, that like Sarah and I really, like we looked at each other and we're like, what? <laughs> yeah. I felt kind of silly. I'm like, I have no idea yeah. who that is. Patty Gagne. Yeah. And she's like, well, I bring it up every time mm-hmm. I talk about my sister because she doesn't have a sister who's still out here yeah. beating the drum. And I think my biggest takeaway from that conversation with Heather Bish was how much of her life has been dedicated to this. And she said, well, if we find the guy who did this, who will I be? Like, I don't even know, you know? Yeah. Yep. Mm -hmm. (sighs) All right. Well, we'll be back for a more extended episode very soon. Definitely. Um, I have been Sarah. I've been Molly. And this is Pop It. Mm -hmm.